When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Locked In with Ian Bick. On today's episode, I have Damian Trites here with us today. Another guy from Springfield, Massachusetts. Guys, what's up with all these guests that want to come on from Springfield, Mass? I think it's great. We love the Springfield, Mass guys. You guys love them. We love them. Great and entertaining stories every time. On today's episode, we hear about Damian's journey in and out of juvenile detention as a young man in New York and the alcohol and drug addiction he develops as he begins to grow up. And then we find out how he gets a career in mixed martial arts and is able to turn his life around. Thank you guys for tuning into the show. Thank you guys for week after week supporting us, sharing this podcast with your friends. All the messages I get week over week, day after day, in my inbox on Instagram, which is at Ian underscore Bick, if you guys ever want to reach out. It really means the world to me. I take all the time to read, reply back to comments as best best I can. And if you guys could take a second also and just head to Spotify, head to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. It helps us tremendously. Thank you guys again. Hope you enjoy my interview with Damian Trites. Damien, welcome to the show. I think you're our first uh, MMA fighter on the show. I appreciate you having me, and thank yeah, you so much. A little intimidated by you all, jacked with the tattoos. Yeah, we were just talking about you look like Aaron Eckhart with the jawline and everything. Thank you. Look at you, man. You look great yourself. I got the baby face, though. So you do got a baby <laughs> I face. I can't grow the facial yeah, hair. Yeah, for sure. Awesome, though. You're my second Springfield guy I've interviewed today. Yeah. We just wrapped up the interview. Um uh, with Jeff Asher, yep. whose episode will be out by the time uh, yours drops. But, you know, the Springfield guys, something's in the air. Yeah, uh, <laughs> putting Springfield on the map for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, let's get into it. Um, for sure. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? What's childhood like? So uh, I grew up in Springfield, Massachusetts, born and raised. Um, lived there my whole life. My childhood was a great childhood. I had an amazing childhood. Um, I have a brother, I have a sister. Um, I was raised in the East Forest Park section of Springfield, which is near Forest Park. It's it's a decent neighborhood. Uh, I'd say I was like lower middle class. Um, and my childhood was great. Nothing nothing uh, bad really happened when I was a kid. What did your parents do for work? So my father's a chef. Oh, and he's my a mother, chef? Yeah, yeah, my father's a chef. My dad's a chef, too. Oh, cool, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so I uh, grew up kind of like in the restaurant business, being around that. And um, my mother was a stay-at-home mom. Um, she looked after me, my brother, and my sister, so. Yeah, so I was reading like a, an article or like a biography about your life, and it was saying that you spent time in 
New York Juvenile Detention Center. I did actually uh, 15 minutes from here. Me and Jeff just left there. Really? Oh, you stopped there? Yeah, then? yeah. I stopped there to go on the property and just kind of. Is that the one that's right down the road? Yes. I pass that all the time. I was wondering what that was. Yes, yep. That's So that's a juvenile facility. Yes, yes. So how does a guy that grows up in Springfield end up in a New York juvenile facility? Okay, so let's, you want to start a little bit with Springfield before I moved to New York? Because I ended up moving you to moved. New York. You moved, okay. Yeah. So let's, let's start at your childhood, um, you know, middle school, high school, but kind of leading up to what happens that gets you into trouble. For sure. Okay, so... Basically, I grew up in Springfield. Um, I was like the smallest kid in my neighborhood. I wasn't really like a big kid. Um, I got bullied a lot. Um, I grew up in a time frame where that's all we did was fight every day, day in and day out. Uh, the Springfield public school system was terrible. It always has been bad. So um, a lot of fighting, a lot of violence growing up, um, you know, not, not in my house but outside of my house, in the neighborhood, at school, that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, like I I was trying to fit in. I was trying to like fit in. I didn't really fit in as a kid. Um, I, like I said, I was small, I got beat up a lot. So that's kind of sort of how I started gravitating towards fitting in and, and towards the wrong crowd, so to speak. Uh, I wasn't very good in school, I had ADD, so um, School wasn't really for me. I didn't really like school. And uh, I just started hanging around with the wrong people and getting involved in, you know, fighting and just kid stuff, really, at the beginning. You also probably didn't want to go to school because you were bullied, no, too. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the Springfield school pub public school system was uh, really, really bad. So um, I think the turning point for me when my parents decided to pick up and leave Springfield was when my principal got stabbed in the hallway. Your and principal got stabbed. Yeah, yeah. That was, I mean, that was one of multiple occasions that happened that I seen growing up. Um, you know, when I was in elementary school, uh, three kids uh, beat up Miss Brown. She was the principal of the school I went to. But uh, fighting and violence in the Springfield school system was normal. It was like an everyday thing. Uh, these kids would play suicide. Uh, it was a game that was a violent game. It was a game where you threw a ball at a wall and you would stand on a line. And if you dropped the ball, you'd have to run to the wall before you would get beat up. Like there was all kinds of that, that sort of stuff going on in the schools. And it was kind of sort of like Dangerous Minds. If you've ever seen the movie Dangerous Minds, the kids, the kids ran the school. Uh, the teachers would just basically sit there and the kids would just really do whatever they wanted. Um, that's the way it was, and my parents just had enough. My father took a job in New York, and we uprooted to New York. Wow. I, didn't, I had no idea Springfield was that dangerous. Yeah, I just listened to Jeff, and uh, what Jeff said is 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 true. Um, Springfield is horrible. It's But even the high schools, like I know like the mob and what Jeff was talking about with that kind of crime, but I didn't even know it was affected by the school. I mean, people, I mean, look— the mob was, you know, it controlled Springfield for the most part back in those days, but the problem in Springfield was more the street gangs than it was the mafia. The mafia, believe it or not, they actually kept the city safe. When the mafia had a presence in Springfield, it was a better place. Springfield has sort of fallen apart since the mafia has collapsed in Springfield. 
Isn't it kind of ironic how crime can keep, like one part of crime can keep a city crime-free in, in, in certain aspects of yeah, it? Yeah, because I guess that they were so respected that people knew not to mess around in, in certain neighborhoods in Springfield that were controlled by certain people. Yeah. So that's just the way that it was. But uh, yeah, no, I was accustomed to violence growing up. It was all around me. And uh, it was normal. Did your parents want to get you away from that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, they were just, you know, my, my parents were afraid. You know, they saw that I was, uh, excuse me, headed in the wrong direction. And they said, uh, we're going to move to New York. That's good that they saw that, though, happening and wanted to move. Because some of the people, the guests we have on, the parents are either A, oblivious to it, or B, they're not, there's nothing, their circumstances don't allow them to move. They can't move out of the area that they're just, it, it, they're stuck in that spot. I think that it was just timing. My father got a job offer. It was like perfect timing. Uh, my principal had gotten stabbed. I think my parents were sick and tired of the violence. They saw that the neighbor, neighborhood was deteriorating and that Springfield was getting worse and worse and worse with time. So they decided to move. But with that, came a lot of resentment you know I have the greatest parents in the world I love my parents dearly like very very family orientated very close to my parents my parents have been married 40 years I'm very blessed but when you uproot a kid at 13 years old that already has problems fitting in to a new community that uh, creates a whole set of different issues and different problems uh, going to a new high school is not easy you know, especially when you're from Massachusetts, you're not from New York. Um, you can imagine the stuff that happened when I moved to New York, you know? Wow. So how old are you exactly when you moved to New York? I was 13. And and where, which um, um, which part of New York? I moved you? to Long Island, New York. Oh, Long Island. About, yeah, about 40 minutes outside of Queens. Where, uh, where exactly I town? Went, I went to Bay, I was, I lived in Bayville, which is right next to Oyster Bay and Locust Valley. I'm familiar with the area. I did a stint in Long Island when I worked for Whole Foods. Yeah. Uh, 2021, I moved to Massapequa. I lived in an Airbnb for a little bit. Okay. And then I moved to, it's a town that's right, it's like north something, I forgot, that's a, right near JFK, kind of, but it's in. It's on Long Island. Um, Northport, maybe? Not Northport. Um, it's, in the, it's in a little area, I forgot, small town. Okay. Um, close to a train station. I mean, that doesn't really mean right. much. But yeah, but I did a stint on Long Island. The thing I realized was I didn't know anyone out there, and it was winter, and Long Island's kind of like dead in yeah, the winter. Yeah, there's not a whole lot to do. But yeah, I moved to Basil. I went to Locust Valley High School, and uh, that's where my problems started to really begin you know where I started to really um my life started to change you know so talk us through that what what's the first instance that you realized that your life's changing for the worse so I uh you know you know day one new high school uh everybody was making fun of me testing me why'd they make fun of you you know I talked different I didn't have the New York accent I was from Massachusetts. Everyone thought I was a Red Sox fan, even though I was a Yankees fan. Like, Aren't kids just, so just, cruel? Just stuff yeah. like that, like just little things like that. And just it just snowballed. And, you know, when you're a kid, you're just literally trying to fit in. You're like, um, you know, you're trying to blend in. You don't want to be the source of everybody's attention. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not good with handling people all eyes on me. You know what I mean? Um which is 
interesting because you become a fighter later on. Yeah. So the the attention you're in an arena and you have eyes watching. Yeah, you. it was the progression the progression of who I ended up becoming, and none of this would have happened if my life didn't go the way that it did. You know, so um, it was sort of a blessing in a way. You know, and I'll get to that later. Too. Now at 13, that's a freshman, right? About. Yeah. So I guess the one good aspect is you could start. At, like at the entry level, I feel like it would have been a little bit worse if you went at like sophomore, junior year to a new school. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But you have to remember a lot of these kids that I was going into high school with grew up together. I know. That's how I felt. Too, you know, man. like it's it's not like you go to a new school and it's like you're not really going to a new school. You're going to a new school, a new school, but all the same people that you came up with like a lot of like you know a lot of people go to high school with people they were in elementary school with that's just the way it is if you're from there that's how it is you know yeah so the the, the bullying started you know immediately right off the bat and um the fighting started every day fighting new people you know fight getting in, getting into fights how do you know how to fight like even going back i didn't from, know i didn't know how to fight so you're just swinging no I, yeah it was just like when you're a kid you know, you know, you train boxing, right? Being a skilled fighter and being just a street tough fighter is a completely different. You know, you get these guys, oh, I'm a street fighter. They come into the gym and then what happens to them? You know, they get they get hurt, you know what I mean? Because they're not skilled. Um, there's a difference, right? So when you're in the street, you're mostly, it's like, who's the toughest guy? You know, so it's like just brawling, basically. You know, you're just throwing punches and winging punches, hoping that one of them lands, you know? So it was a lot of that, you know? It was a lot of a lot of that, you know? Yeah. And uh, it was the 90s. So it was the era of everybody hanging out on the corner, you know, with the boom box. Wu-Tang was playing, Mob Deep is playing. The 90s, you know, like everybody had a block, everybody had a corner, neighborhood versus neighborhood. New York was like that, you know, like... It's just the way that it was. So. Were there movies like you were influenced by, movies or TV shows? Yeah, of course, man. I mean, hip-hop culture was thriving back then. So we were all influenced by, you know, like um, Belly, the movie Belly, or Paid in Full, and like all these like um, hood gangster movies. You know, obviously there was Goodfellas and all that stuff. I didn't really get into that type of stuff until I got older in life. But... um yeah, movies influence us for sure. All right, so you're at this new school. You're getting into these fights. What happens next? So I had this group that was bullying me, and they were like sort of a gang, but they weren't a gang. They were just like a clique. They thought I they were say. a gang. Yeah. Well, no, no. It's not that they thought that they were a gang. They had every makings of a gang. They just weren't organized. You know what I'm saying? They were more like a crew. Okay. So that's how New York was back in the day. There was a lot of, there was a, there was groups of crews. Like you had the older guys and then you had like the younger guys and they, they were all friends, but it was just like very clicky, you know? And I had this one group, this one click that used to like, you know, fuck with me every day, you know? And, um, I got into a fight with this the one bully and I got the better of it finally after all these fights, me getting beat up and I lost. So I started to earn respect. I started to make some friends and things started to turn around, but it, it was turning around because I was being accepted. Didn't mean that it, my life was turning around. It was actually headed in a worse direction because now I'm being accepted by 
the bad the bad group the bad groups of kids it wasn't like i was being accepted by the jocks or the people that are involved in sports and stuff like that no it was the street kids the kids that were hanging out on the corner that were drinking and smoking and partying you know so um that's when it started to get towards a street life for me you know and what happens in the street life a lot of a lot of drinking a lot of fighting a lot of people testing you, people, um, the older guys, you know, telling you, go, go, go punch this dude in the face. You know, um, this dude's from a rival neighborhood. You know, we're going to go over there and we're going to, you know, we're going to handle business, stuff and, like that. And you just want, you're doing this to fit in. Yes. And do yes. your parents realize what you're getting oh, yourself yeah. into trouble? Oh yeah. Yeah. We had, we used to, we used to, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not lying when I say this, like, we used to um, hang out like 30 to like 40 deep, like on the corner. We'd be like 30 of us. And we all had beepers. Like if we were if like, beepers. yeah, we all had like pagers and there were codes that we used. You know, some codes were for drugs. Some codes were for, you know, beef. If we had beef, you know, like come 911 meant beef, like codes of certain spots that we would meet up because we had like three different spots that we would hang out. Like the arcade was one of them. The middle of town was another one. And then we had like um, by Center Island, like the beach was three spots that we all would hang out and congregate. And and if, you know, other kids our age from other towns will come to our town, we would fight with them. You know, that's just that's how it was, you know. And were you feeling like happier that you were being included in something that you weren't necessarily the kid getting bullied anymore? I, What's like the thought process? I mean, like, to be honest with you, man, like. I don't know if I was happier. I mean, I was happy that I had friends and that I was like actually fitting in with people now and I wasn't the center of everyone's attention anymore, you know, and that I was starting to become respected and stuff like that, you know? Do you think if you were never bullied, this never would have, like you wouldn't have gone down the path that you would take? You would never have ended up in juvie. You maybe not even have been a boxer or, or an MMA fighter. Oh, yeah. My life would probably be a completely different direction. I think that if I never moved, my life would be completely different today. But but then again, you don't know. Yeah. Because I don't know. I'm always just fascinated with like the what, not that I dwell on the what ifs, but like it just, it's curiosity. Like, yeah. what if this relationship worked out? Yeah. yeah what if yeah. this business worked out? It, it just, it puts it in a perspective because then you know. For the next time you're faced with that decision on on which move to take yeah decisions tend to re repeat themselves oh, just yeah. in different forms i think when we're younger too we we don't think as much as when we're older about the decisions that we make right we're kind of just like going with the flow type of thing and, and you know when you're younger you think you know everything you know and um yeah so to answer your question i, I don't know if my life would be different but i know that bullying and me moving molded me and shaped me to become you know a fighter ultimately so what actually lands you in juvie like is there a certain event mm. that lands you into this or okay so i had two friends that were my dearest friends in the world one of them's name was slim we called him slim and my other friend's name was kev um we were like brothers we were inseparable we were like we were like the three of us together were like terrors, you know, like when we walked down the street, if kids saw us, they crossed the street. They, we, they were afraid of us in, in my town, you know, and we had a strong group behind us. It was the three of us, but we also had like 30, 40 guys at our disposal that were extended members of our family or our crew, right? So um, 
my what ends up happening to me is I end up catching a case with my friend Kev. A couple cases actually. I had an assault and battery case, and then I had another assault and battery case. And the second assault and battery case, the judge just basically got sick of seeing me, and he basically, um, you know, sent me away, put me in juvenile. But my friend in the process that I was on the case with committed suicide. Oh wow! So this is what this is what really altered and changed my life and you guys are close yes he was like my brother so when he died um i'll never forget it um in the town that i lived in they had a um they had a fire the fire department down the street and anytime there was an emergency in the town the fire whistle would go go off in the town and everybody knew that something significant was happening right I got a knock at my door and it was my neighbor. She told me basically that my, my best friend had did what he did. I hitchhiked to the hospital, found out that he passed away and my life just kind of fell apart after that. You know, that was the beginning of my life of crime and not caring anymore and not giving a fuck, to be honest with you. I didn't care. I wanted to die at that point. Did you have anyone that you could find comfort in at I mean, the time? I mean, I mean, at that, when you're that young and you experience that kind of trauma, you don't, you, you don't want to be comforted. You don't care. You, there's nothing nobody can say that can bring that person back or that can make you feel better. And I think mentally, I just, I couldn't handle it. And it just sent me over the edge. Yeah. It sent me over the edge. And then I had to pick up all the slack of the case because he passed away. He was on that case with me. So basically, I ended up doing I ended up going to going going to juvenile. I did 18 months and uh that turned me into an, a monster obviously. Uh you know, being in being in a place where it's predominantly black and hispanic, you know, people and I'm one of two white kids in the whole in the whole program it's not going to be good for you. And ex especially you're from Long Island. Most of the kids are from Brooklyn, the Bronx, Queens, the city, you know, they're all going to test you. So the fighting and the bullying, here we go again. It's another it's cycle. A pattern. Of yeah. Now what, what was the initial assault charge for? Like what did exactly did you do? So the initial, an initial assault charge was just a regular fight. It was me and a fight and a kid and I beat the kid up and he pressed charges on me. The fight with Kev, when he killed himself, we both beat the kid up and I stomped him out and they gave me shod foot. In New York, when you stomp someone when they're on the ground, it's assault and battery with a shod foot. They consider it a dangerous weapon, so it's a more serious crime. So after the first assault and battery charge, the judge was like, nah, you know what I mean? Like you did this, now you're gonna pay, so. Are these innocent people you're fighting no or are these they... are these are these are not nah, these aren't innocent people these there's like there were reasons for this stuff like um you know obviously it was kid stuff you know obviously but it was all like street beefs like yeah. you know over like so maybe they were over like the yeah, yeah 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 yep so you get to juvie what do your parents say to you when you're sentenced to juvie they were happy they were happy so you're really my parent my parents my parents I put them through hell, absolute hell. Like, you know, my mother used to come up to the corner when we were like 30 strong and she'd be like screaming at everybody, telling everybody, you know, go home. Like, I'm gonna tell your parents. Like, they, she would call, she would t 
tell the police that she thinks that something's going to happen because every year we would have like brawls at like the fe- the feasts and stuff like that with other kids and you know people got really severely hurt like one time I was involved in a, in a rumble that was like a 15 on 15 brawl and my friend got hit in the face you remember the car club the club maybe I don't know yeah it's a thing that locks your steering wheel and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. so you can't yeah. steal the car yeah my friend got hit in the face with the club and he had that plastic surgery on his face and this, and this huge brawl that broke out on the street. Um, it was like 15 on 15. So there was all kinds of bad stuff happening. So my, my parents had had enough. Like at that point, they looked at it like jail's going to maybe save his life, you know, or him going away is going to actually help him. They looked at it like that, you know. So your relationship's deteriorated drastically. I mean, I mean, look, my parents have always been there and supported me and always have loved me but at that point they just got fed up with the bullshit they didn't you know what i mean they they had enough yeah it was very difficult to deal with you know so new york state juvenile detention facility what's that like war every day i saw i read somewhere that you called it like gladiator school that's what it is yeah why how does it get the nickname gladiator because all you do is fight every day is every day are you guys in like cells or no so open dorm. Open dorm and yeah. you're sleeping. It's the middle of the night and you guys are just fighting. No, or? not in the middle of the night. Okay. There's a lot of fights like behind the scenes. Like in like there's rooms that people fought in. There's the chow hall that people fought in. People fought in the gym. People fought all over the facility. They fought outside when they went for rec. Is I mean, there like politics in a juvenile? Yeah, yeah. What are like some of the politics? Just like the same politics that go on in any other center, you know? Yeah, but it's over. different when it's like in juvie. Like these Juvie's kids, worse. Know, really? Juvie's worse because it's a bunch of kids that don't give a fuck. They don't, they just don't care. They just don't, all they want to do the is respect fight. Respect level probably yeah, isn't Yeah, they there. have no respect. They don't, they, it's just, it's madness. What about the guards? How, how are you treated by guards? I mean, they don't really care either. They're just there to collect the paycheck, you know? This is all wild, man. This is like a whole different life. Yeah. What about, like, what's the worst fight you got in at, at a juvenile detention center? Well, I got into a fight with this, the only other white kid that was in my unit over food. He told me that he was going to take my cake off my tray. And I told him he's not going to take the cake off my tray. And obviously, it didn't go good for him. <laughs> what happened to him? Uh, I knocked out some of his teeth. And do you go to like the shoe or the box after yeah, that happens? Yeah. And what's the shoe like inside these facilities? Is it different? Is it the same as? Well, you 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 haven't been to like an adult prison, right? You just I've been to jail. You've been to regular been jail. To, yeah, okay. regular county jail. Um, but what was the shoe like? The box. Same as any other place. They keep you segregated until your time's up, and then you come back out. You know. Does it have? Do you think it has a worse mental effect on you because you're that young? Yeah, but at that point, you're, I was already far gone as far as mentally. My friend was dead. I was locked up. I didn't care about nothing at that point. Do you think you were just getting into all these fights because you wanted to get hurt? You wanted to maybe die? No, no. So you, no. you still wanted to live? Yeah. I, I, I never really contemplated suicide ever when I was in there. And I started to become, and I started to build myself, actually. I started to work out every day. I was in freakishly good shape by the time I came out of when I came home I was in incredible shape I was 170 pounds solid muscle benching 250 pounds and I was 19 years old did you have like any plans like aspirations while you're in uh, no I I just 
No, no, I didn't. No, I was just day by day trying to get get out of there and just get home. What do you think you needed back then? Like looking back on it now, what could have someone have done for you to help you? Because you're, it doesn't just end there. Was, there. there was nothing. Nothing. No, I think that I think that no matter what, I was never going to be good in school. I never liked school, so I, I didn't think it really mattered what anyone did. No one was going to. Uh, derail the train that I was on. I was on, I was on the train where I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I actually liked being in the streets. I liked that environment. I felt accepted and I just liked the chaos. I'm going to be honest. I've always kind of been an adrenaline junkie. So you think that translates into your career now? Yes. But you're able to do it in a positive way rather than a negative way. Yes, of course. Yes. So 19, you get out of juvie. Mm-hmm. Is this where addiction starts to take place or what happens? So, um, I mean, addiction, addiction, I think was off and on my whole life, but I wasn't really like back in the day, I wasn't really doing like hard drugs. You know, I was just doing like weed and, you know, drinking and, you know, I dipped and dabbled with some stuff, but I was never like, I never considered myself like a junkie, you know? Um, you know, I, like I said, I dipped and dabbled with stuff, but yeah. And then what happens like when you're 19 and you're So out? when I'm 19, I come home and my parents tell me that in a few years, they're thinking about moving back to Massachusetts. So I'm like, why a few years? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, what is going on? Like I'm comfortable in New York. Like I finally, like I'm home, like I'm you know, like I have friends now and now you want to go back to Massachusetts. They wanted to be closer to my family, to like my grandmother and like my relatives that were still alive, you know? So, um, yeah, that, that was it. I was, I was 19. I came home and I was just back into the bullshit, you know? So you got back right. Yeah. I was back into the bullshit. So Juvie didn't help like fix you at all. No, I think if anything, it just made me more, street savvy it just made me bigger it made me scarier and it made me more dangerous that's what it did did your parents visit you while you were at yeah yeah oh yeah so they were still maintained support yes. they were trying to be there yes. for you they just knew that you needed yeah, to be I there i would cry when they would come up when they would leave you would actually cry yeah, in the visiting room yeah for sure room? yeah with with yeah with yeah with and other guys and would see you cry yeah wow yeah. I'm, I'm surprised i didn't care Really? Yeah, I've always been, man. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I don't hide who I am from nobody. No, never change that because nah. that's a great yeah, trait to yeah, have. I don't, I don't hide who I am, man. Never will, never never ever will. So you aren't worried about the perception nah, of others? I don't care. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to beat me up? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. You know what I mean? I didn't care, you know? So how bad do things get as time goes on between the drugs, the alcohol, your cr- life, you know, crime, dealing with the bad, unsavory people. So I had this mentor growing up who I met when I came out of um, juvie named Mike Minimoto. What a name. Yeah, he was a lunatic. And um, he built mini motorcycles. Like back in the day, he was from California originally, but he moved to like, he had family in like Brooklyn or whatever. And then he ended up in Long Island, but he used to build the mini motorcycles, you know, the little mini motorcycles yeah. when they were popular when they I first I always won one when I was a kid. So he used to build those, but he didn't have a job. He came from a, a rich, rich family. He, he was born into money, but this dude used to drink like a bottle of Jack a day. 
and he was a lunatic and he had dogs that he fought. He had two pit bulls that he used to fight. And we started hanging around with Mike Minimoto, like all the kids in the neighborhood. We used to go to his house and he'd take us to like New York to go cop heroin because he was a bad drug addict. But he was a lunatic. He would fight anyone. He was big into he was big into jiu-jitsu and mixed martial arts. Even though he was all messed up, you would never know it. The guy was an animal. Like he was in great shape, whatever. So he mentored us and he used to make us fight in his living room with the geese on and and we'd get into fights within you know our friends would all fight and he treated us like dogs like really like he would put the geese on us we'd fight in the living room or we'd go in the back and box and this was you know this was like we were real young and and it just kind of snowballed from there man and we started hanging around with more worse and worse people you know all kinds of street guys you know so do you go to college do you get a job how are you making money at no i was i was selling i was selling weed when I was a kid, I used to sell, you know, I used to sell weed and stuff and to supplement my income. But, you know, back in those days, it was like you were selling nickels and dimes and ounces and and weed was a completely different game back then. You know, it wasn't like, you know, how it is today. I mean, it, this is we're going back to 1997, 98. You know what I mean? It's a long time ago, you know. And how old are you? 19, 20, yeah, 21? Yeah, yeah. So how long does this go on for? Pretty much until I came back to Massachusetts, you know. And when do you go back to Massachusetts? I came back to Massachusetts when I was 24. 24? Yeah. And what do you, is your mindset different? Is your attitude different when you get back to Massachusetts? I mean, look, I mean, in retrospect, I think that when I, when I was going to move back to Massachusetts, I said to myself, like, this is a fresh start for me. Like, you know, like I'm going to come back to Massachusetts. I'm going to, you know, reconnect with some of my old friends and, you know, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to you know, do all the stuff that I should have been doing long ago. Now I was at an age where I was finally over my friend's death, you know, not over completely, but it was, had been so long. So, um, obviously I wanted to do the right thing when I came back, you know, but that didn't happen. So what happens when you get back to Massachusetts? So when I get back to Massachusetts, a lot of like the guys like I grew up with and stuff like just, weren't really like around you know anymore like or they were around but they had were married they had kids or they were in relationships or they just weren't my type of people anymore you got to remember I significantly changed I went to I went to jail like I'm like I went to New York like I've just kind of lived experience yeah like it like I just grew apart from people that I like grew up with you know so when I came back it was like all over like me kind of starting all over again you know, but I was in Springfield where I grew up, you know. So what are you getting involved with, with these new groups of people? So at the beginning, I wasn't really involved in nothing. I was just trying to find my way and, and find a job. And I was working like landscaping and I was doing like construction and, you know, trying to make money. And I was trying to be legitimate and just go on the straight and narrow. Um, but then I started like meeting like wise guys and like, you know, um, I wanted to train more. I wanted to, you know, train more. And I started, um, you know, boxing and I started like doing martial arts and stuff again, because I like, that was something that I did all the way from when I was a kid. I didn't really talk about that, but that's, I've always been involved in martial arts my whole life. So when I came home, I wanted to uh, start getting involved in martial arts and stuff again. So I started doing that. 
it just became more dangerous, man. It started, you know, bouncing and, and being around more seedy people and, you know, higher level criminals and, and that sort of stuff. You when know? you say like dangerous and seedy individuals, what were you like exposed to? I mean, I mean, Springfield is filled with dangerous and seedy individuals. I mean, I grew up there, so it's like I know all the groups. Like, um, I grew up with a lot of Latin Kings. I was around that life for a very long time. I was probably one of the only white guys that was allowed at a 50 to 100 uh, party, Latin King party with all Latin Kings. And I was like the only white guy that was in the party. What's a Latin King party? Just like, you know, like a, like a house party, but with all gang members, mm -hmm. you know, in a house, you know, and you know, they're all, they're all, they're all gang members and they're all very dangerous guys. A lot of them are murderers, a lot of, you know, they're dangerous people, you know. And are you getting arrested still at this point with, with your dealings with individuals like this and whatever else you have going on? No. So you're done no. getting arrested? No, I was point. done. Yeah, no, I was done. No, I was done at that point getting mm -hmm. arrested, but I wasn't done getting arrested in general. In no. general. No. So you have a little like bit of a quiet spot. You're still trying to like find your way. Yeah, yeah. But like, um, like I said, I was starting to, you know, get involved back with some of the old people that I, I knew before. Um, the girl that lived behind me was her, her, her boyfriend was the head leader of the Latin Kings. So I reconnected with her, this girl, Heidi, that I knew that I grew up with. Um, Chicky's nephew was actually married to, to her. And yeah, he's the so, head of so the Chicky, gang. Yeah. So Chicky's nephew and I have known each other since like 1993. So, and he was, he was, you know, inv heavily involved in the Latin Kings back then. And there was other high ranking members of the Latin Kings that I was, that I was friends with. And were they having you do anything for them or they knew better not? To? No, I think, I think it was more just, uh, um, at that point I wasn't interested in being involved with them as far as like crime stuff goes at that point in my life. Um, it was just partying more or less, you know, me going over there, partying with them and stuff like that. They, they knew how to have a good time and I like to have a good time. Is this know? when like your drug and alcohol use ramps up a little bit? Yes. I was, you know, I was drinking, I was, you know, smoking more weed and that sort of stuff. But, um, the drug use didn't come until later. So let's get into that. How does that evolve? How do you go from someone that's just smoking weed, drinking? You're really not even doing too much at this time period. So, so, okay. So I was, like kind of on the fringes of being around the Latin Kings. I had some friends that were wise guys that were involved in, in, in that life. Um, and I was a bouncer, right? So that's how it kind of started where I started getting into the, into the drugs. So um, when I was a bouncer, I worked at this, this bar called McCaffrey's. It was an Irish bar, but it was, um, you know, a hangout for wise guys. And for a lot of guys that were involved and stuff, you know what I mean? So that's where like my drug use started and where the violence really started because like, you know, beating people up all the time in the bars, getting into fights all the time, you know, doing, doing blow here and there, you know, drinking, uh, you know, doing blow while you're working. It was common. Like most bouncers drink on the job and they do drugs on the job, most of them, you know what I mean? So that was just like common. It was every day, you know. And what at, at your lowest point? What kind of drugs are you doing? Oh, I didn't. I never did like. I never did like like hard hard <laughs> drugs like heroin or 
um, crack or nothing like that. My drug of choice, I would say, um, was cocaine. Which is still technically a hard drug. It's, yeah, it's yeah, an yeah, addictive yeah, yeah, drug. yeah. No, for sure, for sure. How much coke are you doing at, at the worst part? Part. I wasn't like a, I wasn't like a cocaine user where I bought it and did it all the time. It was more just like uh, two or three times a month, okay. if that, you know. But it's still drug use. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So this continues on for how long? I'd say I'd say. Uh, all the way up until my 30s, man, off and on, you know? And anything, like, traumatic happened during this time period? All? Yeah, I had some scares, man, in my day for sure, you know? Like what? What, what type of scares are we like, talking about? Like, you know, I had scares where I was partying all night until the wee hours of the morning, and I thought I was going to have a heart attack, and I had to go to the hospital. And I stayed, you know, the night in the hospital. Not something I'm proud of, but that's that happened to me for sure. So what's your wake up call? Like, when does everything, when does your life change? And you're like, I got to get this on track. I got to fix this thing. You know, because you went to juvenile detention at a very young age. You're, you're involved with shady individuals, drug use, alcohol use. How do you turn it around? I think that, I think that my wake up call was when I started to look around at my circle. Chicky actually was a mentor of mine. Um, I used to hang around with Chicky all the time at the social club that we used to hang out at, the Mile Carmel Club. Um, and that club was just evil. It was just the evil, evil club. A lot of people died in there. There was, there was a few guys that got killed um, in that club. And I'll be honest with you, it just had an evil presence in that club. Um, when you went in there, um, it, you just got that, you got a feeling about it's 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 kind of hard to explain but I spent a lot of time in that club and you know the treachery of that life I was around that life uh is scary you know you're sitting at it you're sitting at a table with guys that you don't know if they're your friend or they're your enemy you know that's just that life that's the way that life is I'm not saying everyone is like that obviously me and Chicky have a, have a great relationship he's he's one of my best friends but um, my wake-up call was just being around people that I didn't trust anymore and seeing how the, seeing the streets for what they were, what they really were, not what we glamorized them to be, right? Because yeah. a lot of guys that get involved in that life, they watch the movie Goodfellas or they watch whatever movie. They, they love the beginning of the movie, but what always happens at the end? Everybody dies or goes to jail and uh, it's not ever a happy ending. So I guess my wake up call was just seeing that I couldn't trust anybody anymore and that I just, I didn't want that life anymore. I just didn't want it for myself. Do you ever think about what could have happened if you didn't give up that lifestyle? Of course, all the time. So when you decided to give it up, what do you put your energy into? Like, what do you get into Training. for work? Training. So you knew you wanted to be a fighter? Training. Oh, I was, I was, yeah, I mean, look, I, um, I always wanted to be a fighter. I had my per my first professional fight in 2004. How old were you then? At that I point? was uh, 25 years old. And you get paid for that fight? Yeah, measly. How much? How much was the pay? Yeah, how much you get paid for that? Not a lot of money. Not a lot of money. Not a lot. I got like, I think I got like four to show and four to win. And four hundred or four thousand? Yeah, four hundred. Four. Yeah. And you won the fight. Yeah, and I got like eight hundred bucks. Now, when you're at your peak of your training, you do this first fight. You're drug and alcohol free. No. Isn't it hard to compete at that level while not for me, man. Okay. Not for me, no. I um 
don't get me wrong, I wasn't partying like every day. Like I wasn't like drinking and using drugs during training camp all the time. But, you know, there were training camps where I did go out and I did go on a bender and I did party. A lot of fighters done it and do it. So you never work. It comes with that lifestyle, yeah. right? When you're, when you're a fighter and you're under the lights, everybody wants to be close to you. Everybody wants to be your friend. Everybody wants to say, I know Damien. Hey, call Damien, who got a problem. I was that guy. What's training entail? Like, what's it like to train at that level? I mean, I mean, when I was at a high level, when I was fighting at a high level, like when I fought in Bellator, it was you train, you know, you train for six hours a day. You do a three-hour session in the morning and you do a three-hour session at night. Like, I lived in South Boston for a little while. I lived in Southie. That's where I met my kid's mother, my son's mother. I used to train three hours in the morning. I'd go home for lunch. I'd eat a lunch. I'd take a nap until like four or five o'clock. I'd be back at the gym and I'd be at the gym until 10 o'clock at night. And then after training was done, I'd go and I'd bounce all night. And that was my what, life. That's how you would make money. The that bouncing. was my life. I would bounce. I would bounce five to six days a week and I would train the rest of the days. And, you know, five to six days a week, it's not too shabby. I was making like a buck 50 a night, mm. 150 bucks a night. It's not too bad to just stand at a door. You know, and I lived in a fighter house in Boston, so I didn't have to pay rent. I lived with all fighters. Everybody I lived with was a fighter. What was your motivation to fight? Like, what what kept you going? What made you want to I was to good at it. Yeah. I was good at it. You know, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the competition. I enjoyed the grind of being in a training camp. I enjoyed the brotherhood of it. Um, you know, being around a bunch of fighters and training for a fight. It's awesome, you know? And do you think that your time in juvenile detention helped like strengthen your mentality when no, it comes yeah, to fighting? Definitely. Do you think about definitely. it at all, like the past? Yeah, of course. I always think about the past. I think everybody thinks about the past, you know? Are you cautious of who you hang around because of the past? I mean, not really, man. I mean, not really. I still have friends that are involved in stuff. I still have friends that are in the life. I still have friends that are in gangs. I still have friends. I still, I wouldn't say friends, right? Friend is a is a, is is like it's you a can strong count, word. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But I have people that like. Look, I was a fighter for a lot of years. I grew up in Springfield. Everybody knows me, so everybody wants to be my friend. Doesn't mean that I'm their friend just because they think I'm their friend. You know, at the end of the day, I just like to be under the radar, small circle. Go to work, train, and go home. Now, I try not to go out and party as much as I used to. It's just not my lifestyle anymore. I'm in a different direction, you know? I'm, I'm acting now, I'm doing movies, I'm, I've been involved in um, some, some film stuff, and that's the direction I'm in. The street life is a dead-end street. There's nothing in that life, so there's no point in headed back towards, going backwards, right? You gotta move forward in life. Do you still do drugs or alcohol now? No, I mean, I drink occasionally, but, but not like I used to. How do you prevent yourself from like relapsing? What, what keeps you dialed in? I mean, relapsing is a word for somebody that, you know, use drugs on, on a regular basis. It's just not my life. I, I'm, I'm healthy. I like to be healthy. I like to eat healthy. I like to train. You know, do I, do I, do I hang out and, and go out and have a drink every once in a while and, and have some drinks with my friends every once in a while? Yeah, I do. Yeah, drinking's fine. Yeah. You know, here and there socially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, look, 
I, I enjoy going out every once in a while and having a cocktail and having, having drinks with my friends and my family. But as far as the drugs go and that lifestyle of being out in the nightlife and in that kind of negative environment, it's just not for me no more. 43 years old, I don't have time for it. Um, uh, working on a movie that I wrote myself um, with my partner, Brian Hoyle. I don't know if uh, Chicky told you anything about it, but he's in it too. We're casting him for it. Chicky, you're casting? Yeah, yeah, and for yeah. anyone that doesn't know, we've mentioned Chicky multiple times. He's Chicky, Chicky Telly. Uh, we had him on one of our um, recent podcast episodes, the Bookie for the Mob episode. Chicky's a great guy. You guys got to check out that episode. Yeah, for sure. Chicky's one of my great friends. He's a, uh, he's a great guy. That episode was really, really good. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I wrote a film during COVID. I wrote a screenplay for a movie called Hungry Hill. Hungry Hill is about a neighborhood in Springfield. Um, it's primarily, predominantly an Irish neighborhood, Enclave. My mother grew up there. Um, my mother's Irish, my father's Italian. So um, I wrote the movie, I wrote the story during COVID and we've been rewriting it and working on it for the past five years now. That's great, man. So um, we're hoping that the process is going to be close to where we can um, shop it soon. How old's your son? My son's 19. How do you instill the values you have now into him to make sure that he doesn't follow down the same path that you did? I couldn't be more blessed with how my son turned out. My son is a great, great kid. Um, what I do with my son now is I tell him everything. I'm honest with him about my life. I'm honest with him about the sacrifices that I made in my life to try to make a better life for him, you know, with the fighting. I did everything for him back in the day. Like I did all that, that dream that I was chasing. Look, when you're chasing a dream, you're chasing a higher purpose, right? Than a normal person that works a regular everyday nine to five. I wanted to be a huge big name fighter. You know, I had some injuries along the way. I had some things happen, you know, whatever. It didn't work out the way I had wished it did. But what I instill in my son now is, you know, always be a good person, have morals, have respect, you know, always say please and thank you. All the things that my parents taught me growing up. Um, like I said, I'm grateful. My parents are still married. They've been married 40 years. You don't see that anymore. But my son does martial arts with me. He trains with me. And to me, that's important. I'm passing the torch to him now, you know. And uh, he trains stand-up. He does some boxing. He does some jiu-jitsu and stuff like that. So that's important to Have me. you talked to your son about your past? Of course. And what like does I he said, say? Yeah. yeah, he knows. He knows. Does yeah. he ask you questions? Is he curious? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he asks me questions. And do you sure. give him like honest answers? Yeah, of course. I'm always like transparent with my son. Like I said, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I don't hide who I am, you know? Yeah. I don't hide who I am. I don't, I don't have nothing to hide. Whenever he asks me something, I have to be honest with him. Because he's not going to get the lesson if I'm lying to him. There's a lesson in everything, right? When we fall, we get up. We have to learn the lesson. And, that, and at the end of the day, if, I, if I'm not transparent with him, then he's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's not going to respect me at the end of the day, you know? Yeah, on the topics of lessons, what do you think are the biggest lessons from your story for others? I think that the biggest lesson from my story is, is that never give up. Never, ever give up. Like, don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't do something. Um, that's like, I've had a lot of people in my life um, try to sway me from my dreams. A lot of people that are my so-called friends that, you know, 
they're not really my friends. They, you know, they're, they're my friends when something can benefit them or I'm doing something for them or if they need me at three in the morning to come hurt somebody or help them in a beef, I'm their friends then. But when I'm moving in a different direction and I'm in the gym and I'm training and I'm like, nah, man, I'm good. I don't want to go out tonight. I'm in the gym. I'm training. I'm working out. I'm training for a fight. I'm 43. I'm fighting in September. You know, I mean, I haven't stopped. Like I took, I took a little hiatus and I have the itch to get back. I have some stuff still that I want to get out of my system. Yeah. You look great, man. I've been seeing your, your photos and videos and I stuff. I appreciate you're, it. You're man. jacked up. I man. work hard, man. Yeah. I work hard. I'm in the gym every day. I train every day. I work hard. And, um, what like, keeps you grounded like that? You know, when you said about my son, that's the most, the most thing that keeps me the most grounded is my son. Without my son, I don't know where I would be because I'm gonna be honest with you, my son motivates me to be a better person because I'm inspired by how good of a person he is and how good of a person he's become. That's, that's powerful. When you can look at your kid and say, wow, I, I, that's, that's amazing. Like he's just such a great kid. So it, he inspires me to wanna be better every day and to be a better father, a better human being, and you know, we all go through through stuff in life, but at the end of the day, what it's all about is getting up and being a better person each and every day. How do you get through like the dark days now? Cause we all, no matter how good our lives are, we're gonna have tough days. What is your method to get through those? I tell everybody, man, wait, it's gonna pass, man. It's gonna pass. Whatever you have in your way, it's gonna pass. It's a, it's a roadblock. It's not, your circumstances today will never be your circumstances tomorrow or the day after that. Life changes dramatically. You never know what can happen in your life. You don't. But if you give up and you just lay down, then what? Yeah, you can't give up. You can't lay down, man. You, I don't lay down for nobody. I don't care who you are. I'll never lay down. Nobody's going to ever make me lay down. I'd rather stand and fight and go out on my shield than lay down. So at the end of the day, you just got to keep moving forward and keep fighting every day and life ain't easy, especially as a man today, it's not easy, but um, I don't want nothing easy. As a fighter, do you have to be more cautious like when you're interacting with people, if someone like heats you up at, at say like you're at a bar or a restaurant, that could ruin your whole people life. People test me all the time. How do you restrain yourself? I mean, look, I just look at it and I laugh because they just don't have an idea. They don't have a clue. Like people, in the, I'm a street fighter. Everybody says that I'm a street fighter. Yeah. You know, you're a joke, buddy. That's what you are. You're a joke. You're not a street fighter. You never fought nobody. Why? Because you knocked some guy out at the bar that had like 20 drinks. That makes you tough. A tough guy don't have to prove it. He's already proved it a million times in the ring or he proved it in the gym or he goes to the gym every day and he proves it. The real tough guys are in the gym building their bodies and they're, and they're building their bodies for war. That's the real tough guy. Do you ever take time to reflect on how far you've come, like since being a kid, being that fighter that wanted to stand out as a bull, uh, being bullied, fighting with everyone, and now, you know, evolving and where you're at now? Do you think about that? All the time, man, every day, every day. And I'm not done. I'm, I, I'm a work in progress, man. I could slip up tomorrow and make a mistake. Every day, it's like a chess. You gotta, you gotta think before you move that chessboard. 
yeah. mean, that, that chess piece, you have to think about every move strategically in your life. What's the best possible move on the chessboard? That's just life. If you, you know, if you don't think about what you do before you do it, you can make a, a fatal, fatal mistake that can mold and shape your life forever. You said, do people try me all the time? You know, one thing I'll say is this, nobody ever tries my family or people that I love because then I won't care, I won't hesitate. When it comes to my family or people that I love, I'll lay my life down. That's just how I am. That's a great attitude. You know, and, and, and um, I'm a warrior. That's why what we, we do, we fight, right? Warriors fight. So at the end of the day, like, um, I can tolerate abuse and disrespect to me. You know, I can, because I'm a bigger person now. I don't have to prove anything. But when it comes to my family, that's different, you know? What's like the next five years look like for you? What's the plan? The next five years is to work on my movie, to work on this movie that, I, that I've been working on with my partner, Brian Hoyle, called Hungry Hill. We're working with Jimmy Tamburino, who's a writer who wrote um, Witsec Mafia. Witsec Mafia was a project that I acted in with John Gotti Jr. Um, and we got the writer from Witsec Mafia working on um, Hungry Hill now with us. So that's been super exciting because he's an extremely talented writer. My next five years looks like landing more acting roles, staying in good shape, spending time with my family, and elevating as a person, just becoming a better person. That's what my next five years looks like, making that's, good decisions. That's great, man. Well, Damien, thank you for coming on the show today. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. Uh, I know you I got a nice two-hour ride back to yeah, Springfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So enjoy the trip back and, you know, looking forward to keeping in touch, getting a training session in. For sure, man. I, you know, I would love to help you. I know you said you wanted to um, to do some boxing stuff. If I can help you get, get you a matchup with somebody, I have some connections. You said celebrity boxing. Damon Feldman knows me. I know Jared Tillinghast. Um, he partnered up with them recently. He's out of Providence, Rhode Island. So maybe we can make something happen. Definitely. Man. Dude, I'm itching for a fight, man. Like I'm training. It's dude, it's, it's like cause it's I love the whole like comeback underdog story. So I think that fits with what I have going yeah, on. Yeah, for sure, man. And look, yeah. dude, and like it's commendable like what you went through and now you're starting to climb out of it. And look, you got an amazing podcast. You're doing great things, man. I respect it a lot, man. I appreciate it, man. Well, have a good one. We'll see you Thank soon. Thank you so much, yeah. man. I appreciate it.